Jigglypuff. 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 All right. And rolling. Hey, River. You are four years old five months and 15 days old today that is 1627 days um 39,048 hours and your age in minutes is something too long that i'm not going to be able to do actually two million two million three hundred forty two um eight hundred and eighty minutes old uh roughly um so this is a continuation of the satanic recovery that I started and never finished. Um, again, the disclaimer is I do not own this book. Um, I'm going to read from uh, Uncover Satan, Recover Thyself um, by uh, Ben Dean, a member of the Rational Satanic Church. Go buy it. Please go buy it. It's, it's, it's worth every penny. Um, support the... Uh, you know, person who wrote this because I do not own this and he is being nice to allow me to read it and not tell me to stop. Um, we've got Kelly this time because it's, it's, uh, kind of takes a little bit of the edge off of just reading into, you know, uh, the, the abyss. So hello, sweetheart. So, um, if at some point you have a question or you want to like, you know, talk like this, you know, um, much like an AA meeting where you can be like, hey, like I've got a thought about that. Feel free to okay. jump in. Um, as before, I am also going to read from another book that I do not own, which is Beyond Belief, uh, Agnostic Musings for a 12-Step Life. Uh, so today is June. Whoop, I have it on the 7th for some reason. Uh, it's not June. It's July 1st. Uh, all right. Cautious, careful people, always casting, uh, always casting about to preserve their reputation and social and social standing, never can bring about reform. Susan B. Anthony, uh, eighteen twenty to nineteen oh six. I didn't know she was. She was. Uh, I thought that was more like mid nineteen thirties. I didn't think. Mm, I thought so too. <laughs> um, uh, Anthony was a suffragette. And her likeness had been burned in effigy by angry, resistant mobs. Society owes suffragettes a debt of gratitude for shattering the status quo and advancing civilization. I'm popping a little bit. Um, Here, uh, we hear all you... uh, We hear, quote, all you have to do to get criticized in the fellowship is to do something. Very true. Anything. By uh, the second edition of the big book in 1955, Bill Wilson uh, delighted in the fact that in in regions of the globe dominated by by various faiths, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, AA's doctrine was being adapted uh, to local worldviews. Like today, today's author, the the change championed by general service office of the day of the day met with resistance from members who thought that uh that unchecked adaptations was reckless 23 million addicts are in recovery in the u.s alone and it's got a a citation next to it which i don't see uh the follow-up of that uh i'm i'm assuming the citation is probably going to be a date when this was written the text of alcoholics anonymous was was available in 40 languages uh by the 2010 world conference of alcoholics anonymous the american medical association was presented was presented with 30 million with the 30 millionth copy of the big book to commemorate as AA general service board chair Ward Ewing put put it quote the AMA which is the American Medical Association helped AA erase stereotypes and spread the message of sobriety 12-step culture has had uh, has had success in adapting to many needs of the addicts and in, in new fellowships and uh, though ever cha- through ever-changing times. Growth will always be celebrated in hindsight while resisted during implementation. It seems to be the human way. 
Critics wonder if more couldn't be done to reach out to those who don't know us and, and to accommodate minorities who don't all feel comfortable once they are inside our rooms. We must always strive to be better. Each of us will confront apathy, corruption, discrimination, and abuse inside and outside the 12-step fellowships. We will ignore the need to adapt for fear of what change will bring. Will we ignore the need to adapt for fear of what change will bring? Will we be concerned about reputation and popularity or the needs of others? Uh, end quote. Um, and the question, as it always has, is do I stand up for what I believe in or do I stand where I gain the most attention and approval? Hmm. Um, I think I certainly do stand up for what I believe in in most areas, except like work. But even then, I'm pretty, uh, um, you know, firm on what I believe in. I've, yeah, you I've still have to be diplomatic at work, yeah, but I've quit, I think you do. I've quit jobs because of the going against the moral ethics oh, as that I have, you know. So um, I think I do, you know. I actually do have a question for you. Sure. What I'd never asked you this. What is the first AA meeting that you went to, and like, what was what did you feel, and what did you think when you went there? First meeting I ever went to was in, but, but I think it was an NA meeting. I was sixteen. I had just got out of re, just got kicked out of rehab, um, and in order to come back to the house, I was kicked out of rehab uh, for long story. But I got kicked out, and I had to in order to go back to Gay and Ron's, I had to um, go to meetings. And Ron brought me to NA because you know narcotics is my issue, and. Um, I remember it was in Medford. I remember that much, I believe. And it was, you know, uh, actually a, a meeting I went to maybe two years ago or something. It's still going. Um, I remember raising my hand to speak, I think. And I got shut down um, because I didn't have enough time. And they were like, yeah, yeah, okay, kid, just sit and listen. And that pissed me off. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I went again, um, uh, or at least the memory. I just remember being like, this is fucking pointless. Like, you know, why are, why are these people as much in the first episode of this, of the recordings I did with, uh, Harrison and Caitlin, the, um, uh, same old Sisyphus shit. Like at the, even at that time, I believe that, uh, you know, uh, I shouldn't be patted on the back for, Nobody should for not, you know, for doing what, you know, anybody can. And then, you know, I didn't think that 12 ship, 12 step fellowships had any merit, you know, especially a 16 year old version of me. I mean, I still believe that when I was 28, when I started this, uh, you know, um, podcast form of therapy, um, I do remember the first meeting that I went to that I got something out of. It was in Forked River at St. Mary's on a Saturday morning. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the woman Tootie um, yes. in yeah. the meetings. Um, I think she's since passed, but I, you know, I was out of, I, ju I was either just out of college or something like that or near the end of my college career. Um, and, uh, I had went to the meeting and uh, by myself, I drove myself, I went, you know, uh, a lot of the reason when I was 16, Ron came into the meeting with me, so I wasn't going to, you know, open up too much and, you know, absorb, you know, going by yourself uh, is a, in the beginning is certainly a good thing to do because then you're not encumbered by the people around, you know, the, the people in your circle. You don't edit um, yourself. Yeah. And, um... I remember sharing and she gave me a big book and said, if you read this, I will sponsor you. Um, I started reading. I probably read to the second chapter that day. I was living in Forked River with uh, River's mom. I went up in the attic and uh, started reading it. Uh, okay. So if, if it, when I was living in Forked River with River's mom, that would have been, I was probably 26, 27. So, um, I, I uh, was quite a ways out from college at that point, and I got something out of it. And then I just, you know, I remember reading and um, just not identifying with what was in the book. 
um, you know, and hearing people, you know, uh, talk about like, okay, kid, you know, read this book, you'll identify with it. This will be you. And I read it. And like, really like the, the, the reason why I like the NA book, cause it's written in, you know, modern parlance. The fucking AA book is, is written in 19, you know, uh, thirties. Yeah. It's, it's hard to without, yeah. um, you know, uh, without being su- super dedicated to want to understand it, it is confusing. And, and, you know, now I read it and I certainly identify with it, but like, you know, at that time I was sitting by myself, uh, you know, struggling with addiction and, you know, um, didn't identify with it and I didn't finish reading it, you know, uh, and I, I don't think I went back. Um, so yeah. Did you ever believe in a Christian God? Um, I probably when I was like, I remember the biggest questioning of God was when my grandfather died. I was about 13, 14 years old. And that was the first time where I, where like I, as a human being asked myself, do I believe in God? And the answer was no. Um, upon research, um, you know, I was like, well, I don't, so I'll research. And then I was like, well, I still definitely don't. Um, I tried um, when I was with Bob, um, you know, um, even before that I was trying, I didn't believe, um, but I tried. I'm trying to kind of like fake it until you made it. Yeah, I prayed. I was, I was desperate enough to try. Um, you know, I think that at least for me, that was an important milestone in my sobriety of, you know, now I'm, you know, I have a foundation, I have a, you know, uh, 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 a system in place but it like at, at a certain point like i was desperate enough i was finally as they say you know fed up enough to do i was sick sick and tired of being sick and tired and i was desperate enough to say okay fuck it i'll pray i will pray i um got i got kicked out of uh that place that we uh pinelands um for causing a ruckus I walked down, they dropped me off at a bus stop and I started walking with my stuff and I hid my stuff in, um, um, in the woods, uh, because I didn't want to drag it with me. Um, and the only thing I I'd had, took me with me was my journals, um, started walking and I, that was like my first, first, second and third step experience. I was walking down the road, listening to music, um, nobody was coming to help me i mean i called everybody and nobody they were all like man you know we're done um and i was desperate and i was like you know what i'm gonna get high and i i remember walking down 72 and and looking down at that moment and i saw a, a cap and a needle using needle needle on the ground and an empty baggie and there was the moment in my head where i went if i do that you know, everything's going to spiral even further out of control. So I'm going to keep, you know, walking. And at that, you know, that was the first step experience of going, okay, if I do this, like I, I surrendered at that moment. Uh, you know, I probably could have scraped something out of that, you know, disgusting needle off the ground, that empty baggie, and it would have been something, you know, uh, and I decided not to. Um, I surrendered and then I was walking down the road and I said, okay, God, um, you know, I, 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 the other thing was I was going to go into Wawa and steal food and I prayed to God. Um, and I said, okay, you know, what do I do? And the, the idea came across me that like, you know, uh, stealing something is just yet again, opening a door to bad behavior. So like, I'm going to, I'm not going to do that. And I kept walking and I prayed again and I was like, what do I do? And, um, one of my, Ryan, um, uh, my, the, the guy in my phone is my savior. He, yeah. um, he, uh, I, I, I saw a, there was a big liquor store I was walking up on and right next to it was like a salad place. And I was going to go in the liquor store and steal a bottle. I was going to walk into the room, smash the bottle, drink it, smash it, cut my wrist and just die. Um, and I went, okay, you know what? I'm going to call Ryan. I called Ryan and he lives in out in Kensington in Philadelphia. I called him and I told him what was going on. And he goes, dude, I'm less than five minutes away from you. I'm coming to get you. And that was the first moment where that, that was the moment, the first, uh, first, second and third step experience for me, where I surrendered myself to a God and, um, the universe delivered 
it, like such a fluke. Like if you called Ryan now, he'd be like, I'm never in that area. It's like wild that he like was Like it was there. meant to happen. Yeah. And he grabbed me and he, and he brought me, uh, you know, um, I ended up relapsing one more time after that. But that was like the first time that I really, re- that I, I, I prayed to a, to a God. Um, it wasn't a Christian God in my head, but, you know, I was I was willing. And then that's what opened me up to then when I when I was like, OK, I got to stop. Like I was like, OK, I'm going to do this God thing. And I, I would pray every night. I would pray every morning. And, and I never felt a connection ever um, to anything. Um, but I, I tried, you know, and then at a certain point, thankfully, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, it was, it was good that I did that because like my whole life, I never really tried and like, I really tried and the answer was nothing back. So, and then that's when I turned inward and, you know, um, got back into my Satanism, you know, cause I am the master of my, my destiny. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of strength inside me that I just needed to refine and harness. What other religions have you tried in the course of your life? I have read the seven major religions, um, Buddhism, Taoism, Christianity, Catholic, uh, the, the major books of their religions and like the teachings, um, Ju- Judaism, Christianity, Catholics, but they're basically the same, you know, um, just slight differences. They're the same book, I should say. Um, Buddhism, Taoism. Um, I read the, 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 uh, why is it not coming to me? The, um, Quran, um, you know, when I was, I read all of them when I was younger and just, uh, you know, just to see, you know, um, I read the Bible, you know, a couple of years ago again, um, in a rehab just cause, you know, I didn't have anything else to do. They wouldn't let us read anything else. And I, you know, I read Genesis and I was like, this is hilarious. And I kept going. <laughs> it's, it's wild. But I, you know, I've, uh, it, it, I don't think I've ever tried any of them. Buddhism, like definitely, you know, had always, uh, uh, rung a bell inside of me. Uh, Judaism actually more than anything I, I, I respect out of all the religions. I see a lot of, because I follow Buddhism and I see a lot of Buddhism qualities. In, yeah. In I, I dig that. I dig that for sure. Cause it's like, you know, much like, you know, I view Satanism is it's not like a set of rules, you know, like Christianity and Catholics and it's more like be kind, be a good the, human being. Yeah, and the Quran yeah. is very, you know, this is what you have to do. And, and I don't like that. You know, they, I like Judaism. I always had a respect for because it's more of a suggestion, you know, hey, this is what you probably this would feel good if you did it. But if you don't, eh, you yeah, know, that's not OK, gonna, too. They're not forcing yeah, you or yeah. trying to strong arm you into doing it. If Satanism didn't exist, what religion do you think you would gravitate towards, if any? None. I never, um, I don't know if you remember, but like in in the Satanic Bible by LeVay, the first, uh, I think it's the preface or the first chapter, he outlines that like, as you read this, you will see that this is you. And, and I very much, like I read it and I was like, oh my God. Like, this is already who I am, because like anybody that doesn't know what Satanism is, like, just read the fucking tenets and and you'll be like, oh, I totally agree with that. And you can decide then or not if you want to call yourself a Satanist, but like a true Satanist as outlined by LeVay. And I don't completely agree with everything that, you know, he writes, um, but like it was already inside of me. It was already a philosophy. And then when I read the satanic Bible, I then had a, you know, like if I went to Ron and said, Hey, sit down and read this. I guarantee you he'd come out of it and be like, Oh shit. Like I really fucking identify with a lot of this stuff because like they raised me that way. Um, that's why, why I like Satanism. Satanism was, although they call it a religion, it's, it's, it's more of a, you know, a moral philosophy, if anything. Um, and so, you know, I don't think I would because uh, take Satanism out of the equation. I was already living my life by some of these like ideals and philosophies. So like I would just be doing that because I don't need a religion or want a religion. I just read the Satanic Bible and I was like, oh, shit, I have a religion. That's wild. <laughs> Do you and I've never asked you this. It's just like popped in my head. Do you pray as a Satanist? 
And if I so, mean, what is your like? Do you have? You can, um, like the uh, you can. There's, there's. I'd have to pull it up, but there are some, some, uh, like the there. I don't think Levee's got any. It's, it's been a bit. Um, uh, none that stick out in my head, but the Satanic scriptures absolutely have uh, prayers. But again, um, I, I only just got the Church of Rational Satanism stuff, but I, I'm gonna bet they probably have prayers. But it, but again, like when you're doing that, it's Satan is God. Uh, Satan is me. I am God. So, like, if I were to pray, which I haven't in a long time, you know, even crossed my mind, um, but I guess by a satanic, uh, you know, um, philosophy, I probably pray all the time because I talk to myself, you know, uh, not just, you know, the other ones in my head, but <laughs> no. like Grant talks to Grant and tells me how to you know, like in times of struggle, I fucking, you know, I muster that will inside of me. You know, um, sometimes I will call on my black flame and be like, you got this, you got this, you know, light that flame, you know. And explain so I guess that that's to, a fucking. Explain that to me. Um, like that's something, your inner sh- is my force inner, of will, your sheer force of will. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, um, you know, I'd have to really like pull up. Uh, and I wouldn't be able to do that quickly from the uh, Satanic Bible, but like the, you know, um, uh, there is a, uh, um, like a song that Satan is singing. Uh, here, let's see if I, and like what that is, is, and I could be wrong. There might be a Satanist that's listening to this and be like, <laughs> yeah, he's totally off. But like how I interpret it is, um, you know, there is a, um, there's a, uh, a, a, a satanic, um, um, it's not totally just satanic, but like you, uh, they, they, there, there's some literature about it. There's a meditation where you light a flame, you sit in front of that flame and you stare at it until uh you're you kind of like you know it kind of just you become one with that flame and and i did that once in a buddhist practice it's a buddhist thing too yeah yeah. um and that is for me would be the representation of my inner power my inner will my inner strength my inner satan to you know it's a little black flame inside of me and and that is you know sometimes it's dull sometimes it's burning bright you know and and that is like the for me, the soul inside of me and like Satan is the rational, you know, Godhead part of my brain, you know, the overall what I would like to be the person I would I want to strive for the morals that I believe in, but I don't always follow for. And like the inner black flame is like the the fuel that lights that fire. Um, where is it here? Uh, Ask a question so there's not dead air. I'm actually glad I asked you this because I didn't know there was a song or anything like that. And also, it's like more like a statement I'm going to make right now. I read some of the Church of Rational Satanism book today while you were at work, and a lot of it, I must say, like resonates with me. Man, I... A lot of it seems like common sense. Well, certainly the rational, Church of Rational like, Satanism. Totally common sense, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know which one you read, but any of it that I've read so far is just like... You know, this is this is a suggestion to get you on a path for you. And that's what I appreciate in general about most satanic um, sects, because there are, you know, there's the church, church of rational Satanism, Satanism. There's the church of Satanism, which is LaVey's church. There's the TST. There's there's many different sects inside of it. And most of them are like, hey, this is a guide to read and go find your own way. Do what works for you, but here's like a starter, and that's what I appreciate about most of it. But yeah, the the Church of Rationalization Satanism, I'm I'm really digging anything that I read because it's it's very logical. I mean, the the one I'm reading is literally called Ninety Ten Thinking, and it's about the, you know, about a it's it's a lot of uh, CBT sort of you know how to how to how to manipulate your brain. Um, but yeah, it's all very logical and fantastic. Like I like I said, I don't. Uh, the the satanic bible by levey is like the you know thankfully we had it and it was written but i don't agree with much of it 
you know. Yeah, I mean, we haven't finished it because you read me some of it, but I mean, some of it did resonate, and a lot of it, I was like, uh, no. Yeah. But so far, what I've read of the rational yeah, Satanism, no, it, it's like it's, it's pretty great. The chapter on assumptions and accusations was wonderful because it just puts things in perspective. Yeah, in your mind, it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Um, my inner black flame. I can't remember the poem, but it's like a so. Oh my god, I so want song. you to sing this right um, now. <laughs> Please find it. <laughs> Fuck, I can't remember. It's it's like it's like a my inner black flame. Fuck, I can't remember it. Uh, I'll, I'm I'll gonna find research it and find it. Um, but uh, okay. Anything else before we dive back in? No, no. Go go right ahead. All right. So uh, we read the uh, you know uh, we're going on to uncover Satan, recover thyself. Um, the plan is to hopefully read this entire book um, on this podcast because, as I said, uh, go buy it. Uh, it's on Amazon, or you can get it from the Church of Rational, Rational Satanism uh, website. Um, it's great, and it's worth it. Um, by Ben Dean, pretty fucking awesome dude. Um, all right, so chapter... Oh, God, I'm so bad with the Roman numerals. X is 10, 1 before it. So this is chapter 9, where I left off from the... Uh, if... if uh, you are at this point and haven't heard the other ones go back there's part one and part two this is going to be part three um chapter nine the science of addiction i would like to point out at every at the very beginning here i am not a doctor nor do i claim to be however i have done some extensive research for this section but i am aware how fast science of addiction moves and changes quite rapid rapidly at times i would therefore advise you to do your own research if you wish to question any of the points made in this chapter all the information given below was factual to my knowledge at the time uh, of going to print so let's start off by asking the question what is addiction well as you may have gathered from the size of this chapter that uh that is both simple and very that is both simple and a very complex question i'm sure you will have a broad under have a broad understanding of what addiction is about but uh do let's pose this question that was used in my addiction study course at King's College, London. Quote, would those of us who drink lots of coffee and get headaches, if we miss our morning cup of coffee, consider ourselves coffee addicts? Do we only think of the stereotypes of injecting drug users, the stereotypes of criminals and drug fiends? End quote. Consider some of the words of Nora D. Volkwell um, from the U.S. National Institute of Drug Abuse. Um, science, scientists began to study addictive behavior in the 1930s. At, some at, the, at the time, society deemed people addicted to drugs to be morally flawed, lacking in willpower, or being uh, completely selfish, and it was these same views that shaped the responsiveness to drug abuse. Society was treating it as a moral failing rather than a health problem, which led to the emphasis on punishment rather than prevention and treatment. Groundbreaking scientific discoveries about the brain and how it responds to alcohol and substance uh, abuse has revolutionized the scientific world's understanding of addiction and helped advance a more effective response to the problem. Changing society's attitudes towards addictions has been hard-fought and very difficult to achieve. However, achievements in the scientific understanding of addiction have led to revolutions in the way countries and governments have gone about reducing these types of problems. One such book that documents this is uh, Chasing the Scream by uh, Joanne Hari. And I would highly recommend anybody wanting... Uh, to make serious changes to their locally and nationally based recovery and addiction treatments to read this book. A useful starting point on the science of addiction is to look at how a diagnosis of addiction is made. However, that is something that will be covered more um, in detail in the next chapter by C.M. Wilbur. I would also recommend uh, his book that looks at Satanism and mental health called Satanic uh, Health Mental Wealth. Uh, many recovery groups will talk about the inherent factor of inheritance factor of addiction. 
So that is something that we will need to touch on with genetic susceptibility accounting for maybe half of the risk for developing an addiction. Other risk factors will include those in the social and psychological environment, such as a role of family and friends, parenting skills, peer uh, pressure, and socioeconomic status. We'll discuss how these risk factors can increase the chances of developing addiction. Addiction doesn't respect who, what, or where you are, rich or poor, whatever. Addiction happens, and it happens for a reason. It's it's functional and serves a purpose. Alcohol and substance abuse, substance uh, use can occur for a number of reasons. To remove our pain or sadness, to help us cope with differentiate differing situations in life, or it just helps us relax and enjoy our spare time. Essentially, what it does, it gives us something that we need. Um, the most obvious and fundamental initial experience is that drug use makes us feel good. Uh, also, there's a bunch of notations in this, so uh, you know, and I'm not gonna do, but I suggest anybody that's interested go buy the fucking book. Um, it uh, relieves our worries and provides the escape that we are after. So yes, the initial discussion decision to take drugs is typically a voluntary one. By voluntarily engaging in the use of drugs or alcohol, we are rewarded with feelings and pleasure and, of pleasure and euphoria. We feel good, so we want to do it again. What drugs do is, and more importantly, what drugs that are so often abused do so well is that they o- overstimulate this reward system. These drugs of abuse will increase a chemical within our brain called dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. It is present in the regions of the brain that regulate emotion, uh, movement, cognition, or thinking, the development of new memories, and most importantly, the feelings of pleasure. Therefore, this is known uh, as dopamine reward. Pa- this is known as the dopamine reward pathway of the brain. This is the pathway that you usually becomes activated when we do something that's important for our survival, like eating, having sex, spending time with our children, and so on. Some drugs can release from one to two times the amount of dopamine that that natural reward, such as eating and sex, to do with these kids. Yeah, yeah, he looks like he's running in, uh, yeah. in a field. <laughs> um, in in some cases, that can occur most immediately with the effects lasting much longer than those produced by natural rewards. The resulting effects on the brain's pleasure circuit dwarf uh, dwarf dwarf those produced by naturally rewarding behaviors. The effect of such a powerful reward, I'm struggling with that word, um, strongly motivates people to take drugs again and again. Um, this is why scientists will sometimes say that drug abuse is something we learn to do very well. The increased activity of dopamine neurotransmitter in the reward center of our brain is what gives us this great pleasure. Over time, the, br- the brain will adapt to these overwhelming surges of dopamine. It does so by producing less dopamine or by reducing the functioning of dopamine reward pathway to try to find a new health balance to the dopamine, healthy balance to the dopamine level. This, of course, will impact not only the user's ability to enjoy the substance, but also other aspects of their lives are significantly reduced because of the impact on dopamine levels in the reward circuit of the brain. Can, uh, of the brain can become so abnormally low that the person's ability to experience other, any pleasure is greatly reduced. Oh boy, howdy. Um, this is why a person who abuses drugs eventually feels flat, lifeless, depressed, and is unable to enjoy things that were previously pre- pleasurable. Now the person needs to take to keep taking drugs again and again and again to try and bring his or her dopamine function back up to normal, which of course only makes the problem worse, like a vicious cycle. Also, it will often mean it will often mean the uh, need to take larger amounts of the drug to produce the familiar dopamine high, an effect known as tolerance that will uh, we will delve into a bit later in this chapter. 
As we've seen, drugs are chemicals that affect the brain by tapping into the communication system and interfering with the way the way neurons normally send, receive, and process information. Some drugs, such as marijuana and heroin, do so because they can activate neurons as their chemical structure mimics that of a natural neurotransmitter. This sim- the this similarly similarly uh, in structure. Uh, tricks the receptors and allows the drugs to attach on and activate the neurons. Although these drugs um, mimic the brain's own chemicals, they don't activate neurons in the same way as a natural neurotransmitter, which leads to the abnormal messages being transmitted into the network. Other drugs such as uh, amphetamine or cocaine can cause the neurons to release abnormally large amounts of neurotransmitters or Uh, prevent the normal recycling of these brain's chemicals. This disruption produces a greatly amplified message, ultimately disrupting the communication channels. The core structures of the reward pathway are located in what's known as the limbic system of the brain, which involves the prefrontal cortex, the very front of the frontal lobe, the nucleus acumens, and the ventral temegral area, the VTA. Um, Please feel free to look up uh, so you have a visual visual representation because it it can be quite confusing. I also don't want you to to go... I also don't want to go too deep into the explanation of the structure of the brain as I am not an expert on the finer details uh, are not relevant to the scope of this book. I encourage you to do your own research if the topic is something that interests you. Uh, Very satanic of him. Um, Over time uh, and with frequent drug use, the brain adapts to, to such a point that it's only in balance meeting meaning it is only functioning normally whilst the drug is present in the brain. When the drug starts to wear off or when we stop, try to stop using it, the brain becomes out of balance and we experience an uncomfortable syndrome of, sign, syndrome of signs and symptoms. With continued use, however, an individual's ability to expert... Ex- exert self-control can become seriously impaired and it's it and it's this impairment in self-control that marks the ha- that hallmark of addiction uh, brain imaging studies of people with addiction shows physical changes in the area of the brain that are critical to judgment decision making learning and memory and also behavior control scientists believe that these changes alter the way the brain works and may help explain the convulsive compulsive and destructive behaviors of addiction. There are two broad uh, defining features of addictive behavior that can be noted. Firstly, an increasing preoccupation with obtaining, using, and recovering from the effects of the drug, so much so that the other interests such as jobs, relationships are ignored. Secondly, continuing to engage in the behavior to use these drugs despite being aware of the obvious physical, physiological, or social harms and continuing to use despite, despite attempts to stop. Neglect of important areas of one's life to focus upon addiction inevitably leads to problems resulting in in relationship breakdowns, job losses, or health problems with the with these often the most debilitating aspects of an addiction. Ironically, though, uh, the stress cause the stress cause can actually lead people to turn to further engagement of their addiction to relieve these symptoms and therefore become motivators strengthening addiction. A vicious cycle cycle starts to develop where addiction is character characterized perhaps most dramatically by those people who continue to use drugs despite the experiencing significant harm. The concept of addiction as compulsion and the inability to resist that impulsive need, that craving, marks many people's understanding of addiction. It also, however, marks where neuroscience, 
pharmacology, psychology, medicine, and addiction science are making the most advances. We currently lack a single unified theory of addiction, but current research is taking us even closer to such a theory. And within the last few years, some of the of the key neuroscientific and pharmacological components of addiction have been uh, identified. We know, for example, that the same sort of mechanisms involved in the development of of tolerance can eventually lead to profound changes in the neurons and brain circuits with the potential to severely compromise the long-term health of our brain. For example, glutamate is a neurotransmitter that influences the reward circuit, circuit and the ability to learn is altered by drug abuse from its optimal concentration. The brain attempts to compensate for this change, which can cause impairment of cognitive function. Similarly, similarly, uh, long-term drug abuse can trigger adaptations in habit or non-conscious memory systems. Conditioning is one example of this type of learning in which cues in a person's daily routine or environment become associated with drug experience and can trigger uncontrollable cravings whenever the person is exposed to cues, even if the drug itself is not available. Fuck yeah, I still get it sometimes. This uh, learned, quote, reflex is extremely durable and can affect a person who once used drugs even after many years of abstinence. This is another key aspect to understanding the systems to put in place aid to recovery for long term, which reminds me, there is a guy at, uh, I forget what university, I have to look it up, but I had talked to him at one point. He was studying the, um, uh, um, what was it? He was studying the effects on mice brain for the time from stopping a drug to the influence of that stimulus just talked about. Yeah. Of like, he was MRIing their brains to see like the time. Um, what part did they do? The neural pathways? Well, the neural pathways are in the brain. It's all, all in the brain. What he was doing was he was like getting, um, um, you know, uh, lab mice addicted and then stopping it for a while and then stimulating them with like the smell or the sight of and measuring their brain waves and all that shit um, to see like how long, you know, out uh, what he's just talking about there, you know, the the triggering, you know, effects where I have to look that up because uh, I had talked like, to him. Do you get that sometimes? Like if you hear a certain song or a certain situation? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. All the time, it's it still happens. It's not. It's it, the only difference is now, like it's it's not a, a a it doesn't stay long, you know. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's certain certain things that remind me of crack that definitely like just the smell of it, like certain cleaning chemicals that kind of like trigger that in me. It's just instead of it lingering. Yeah, I remember in my, you saying vinegar one yeah, time. Rather than it lingering in my brain for fucking six hours like it used to, you know, it's it's in and out pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, to quote Dr. Claire Trokes in her video on brain function and addiction on my online course, quote, several studies have shown that there is an increase in activity of the orbital frontal cortex when drug addicts are exposed to drug-related stimuli. The nucleus acubens, um, I've always struggled with that word, the nucleus acubens project project to that orbital frontal cortex via the thalamus um, and in turn the orbital frontal cortex provides lots of connections back again to the nucleus acubens. Um, The orbital frontal cortex also receives direct projections from the dopamine cells in the ventral temegral area. Nailed it. (laughs) And it also receives input from other areas within the limbic system, such as the amygdala and hippocampus. Uh, Limbic regions of the amygdala, amygdala, uh, the uh, spectrum, spectrum? I've never seen that word. Um, Can I say? um, S-E-P-T-U-M. And the thalamus also provide... uh, No. Uh, also provide um, input to the reward pathway concerning motivational and emotional factors. The reward pathway then interacts with the basal ganglia and the cerebellum uh, to modify motor activity. Uh, 
not septum. I don't think so. You have to lean in. We're recording. Septum. Septum? Oh, septum. Right. I don't know why, why I uh, couldn't uh, formulate that. Which gives the science, science behind how and why these triggers for continued use can occur even without the drug being present. Uh, one of the many things we need to look at is our tolerance to different substances and how this will affect us in our recovery. Tolerance occurs with the repeated administration of, of almost all drugs of abuse. However, at the rate at which it develops from drug effects are not the same rates or levels. And you can develop a tolerance rather quickly to one effect, but slowly to another. Interestingly, tolerance often develops to the more unpleasant effects of a drug faster than the pleasant ones. For example, when you first start using a drug like heroin, which makes you feel nauseous and vomit, you'll find out uh, you'll find that you develop a tolerance to that rather quickly. Uh, you, but you'll uh, never develop a t tolerance to the const constipation or the pinpoint pupils that uh, they also produce. True Dat Holmes. Um, the amount of alcohol or drug used to increase as the responsive response to tolerance over a period of time with the level of drugs that are you're using on the amount of al or the amount of alcohol that is being consumed might reach levels that uh, many would find astonishing. People using opiates such as heroin after a period of time can take doses and function normally at levels that might kill a novice or first-time users. If a tolerance is developed to one, one type of drug, then a tolerance will also develop to all that Drug, all the drugs in that class, meaning a tolerance to heroin will produce a tolerance to other opiates like uh, morphine, codeine, methadone. This is a phenomenon co called cross-tolerance and can be uh, very useful for medical treatment of physical dependence with tolerance to drugs having important implications for understanding drug use and addictive behavior. Addiction will obviously cause people to spend more time, more and more time seeking out a drug or object of affection or, or addiction, using the drug and then recovering from its effects. They will also continue to do this, seek, do this, seek using and recover from drug, the a drug's effects, despite obvious harms to themselves and the people around them. So, Although the initial decision to take drugs is voluntary for most people, the brain changes that occur the brain changes that occur over time affect self-control and ultimately the ability to see the future consequences from behavior and the ability to resist impulses. In other words, there is a compulsion to return uh, to return the brain to its neutral, balanced position of feeling normal as a process called homeostasis which when referring to homeostasis occur in the brain um, it is termed neuroadaptation without tolerance reducing the amount of drugs used without tolerance reducing the amount of drugs used and gradually stopping use altogether would be considerably easier <laughs> yeah and uh, far more comfortable. Nevertheless, tolerance doesn't last forever, and it will drop down during periods of abst abstinence. Once we've developed tolerance to a drug and the effects start to wear off, uh, a range of uncomfortable symptoms may occur that could last a from a few hours to a few days. These symptoms might include feeling depression, aches, pains, nauseous, or flu-like symptoms. And the uncomfortable signs and symptoms often experienced when drug effects start to wear off and are generally known as physical withdrawal symptoms. Withdrawal symptoms represent an unopposed consequence of neuroadaptation. That balance and normality uh, that was achieved after regular presence of the drug becomes unbalanced dis and dysfunctional when the drug uh, is no longer present. 
these are generally experienced as the opposite effects of of the drug that was being used. For example, a drug that makes you feel euphoric or high, then the withdrawal symptoms will be experienced as, uh, will be experienced as dys dysphoria, a profound state of unease or dissatisfaction, um, sadness or depression. Therefore, as an addict, you will look for the things that will alleviate the symptoms as quickly as possible, which inevitably mean by uh, which inevitably mean by taking the drug, you'll stop those symptoms immediately. In psychopharmacology terms, uh, this process is referred to as drug tolerance and dr uh, physical drug dependence. Withdrawal is an important concept as for many uh, can also be a great motivator for continued use and why the need to find other ways to deal with these symptoms can be useful in helping addicts stop and stay stopped for a long, for the long, for in the long run. If our initial thought to to any feelings of sadness or depression or general rebound symptoms is to reach is to reach for the learnt behavior from of drugs drug use my brain's starting to skip uh, if our initial thought of to any feelings of sadness or depression or general rebound symptoms is to reach for the learnt behavior of of drug use as the quickest method of, of alleviating symptoms. We need to find a way to rewrite it, this in it the best way possible in our recovery process. In the long term, stopping the use of addictive substance, substance can leave us with long-lasting feeling of sadness, dysphoria, and cravings, which might last for months after we've stopped using the drug. This is this is occurring. I can hear her snoring. Yeah, um, is occurring because our brain is readapting to the abstinence of the drug, and it's trying to get back to a balance. Tolerance and withdrawal put together, therefore, represent the biological components of addiction, which some may call uh, physical dependence or physical addiction. An important factor. Uh, affecting the severity of this physical withdrawal syndrome uh, concerns the nature of the drug itself. Drugs uh, vary in how long they take to clear them from the body. Some are metabolized fairly quickly, while others can take a long time before they are eliminated. And this is referred to as drugs uh, as the drug's half-life. The half-life uh, of any given drug is how long it takes the body to get rid of the half dose. The intensity and severity of the withdrawal syn syndrome um, are inversely related to the half-life of the drug, meaning the shorter the half-life, the more intense the withdrawal syndrome. Uh-huh. Um, but the shorter it will last. Whereas the drugs with longer half-life therefore have a longer withdrawal syndrome, but they won't be as intense. Uh, although there is no panacea, one-size-fits-all, quick-fix recovery, successful and effective treatments are available. And research shows that combining medications with physiological therapy or counseling helps the majority of people. Treatments that are tailored to an individual's circumstances and needs to do even better. And needs to do even better, yeah. Um, but we need to remember that the journey out of addiction can be a very long one. It It's common for someone to relapse and start using drugs again. But it's also common for people to maintain abstinence uh, once uh, they're on the right program of recovery for them. However, if you do relapse, that doesn't mean... Uh, that doesn't need to be seen as a failure, but rather the need to learn about what went wrong and try again, perhaps trying a different form of treatment. This approach is what I hope you will find in this book, a way to use and combine common recovery programs available uh, to you to form your own unique satanic frame of mind. I hope it will allow you to tailor any recovery system uh, to work in the best way for you as an individual. Um, any questions, ideas?
feelings. The next, uh, we'll, we'll do the next part uh, in another one because it's pretty long and we're already I did at, have a question sure. because they're saying how it affects the brain. How do you feel that your brain processes now versus when you were, because you're in your 30s versus when you were in your 20s? Uh, I mean, that's a loaded question because I've been on, you know, my 20s was probably the, the height of my drug use um, from like 16 to 20. Seven, I was doing a lot of drugs at all time. Um, there's, I will say that, like the uh, as an editor, um, I ha- had always edited, uh, edited. I always think of uh, Pete Holmes' joke. Um, yeah, <laughs> I always edited high um, on something. I mean, there was a, a up until probably. Until two years ago, um, there was a. Uh, I had relapsed uh, after the first time I edited sober, but up until that moment, um, I had never edited sober. I mean, ever. I, I I genuinely can't remember a time like I always went and smoked weed. I always went and did something, and it was an incredible fear of mine when I was getting sober and doing some some jobs um, of not being able to edit. sober like I just you know I didn't think I thought that maybe the drugs had would give me that creative edge that made me good um I edited uh one of my friends um I owed him his wedding I filmed uh his wedding and I relapsed and disappeared and I edited a really beautiful thing for uh like recap beautiful uh video for them uh sober and like I killed it um, I mean, like my emotion, like I, I, I had the emotion of the song. I had the emotion of the edit. I had the timing. I had the color correction I had, and I blew through the edit, you know, pretty quickly. And, and like, I surmised from that experience, it was like, oh, I'm way better sober because my brain can, especially in editing, my fingers are not doing what my brain is thinking. Um, you know, if you think of it as like a, a long, you know, um, a a uh, you know those old uh, old programming like push cards like uh, uh, in old computing yeah they yeah, poke the holes about. and then punch it through the machine and the machine would do my brain is you know um, my fingers are way behind where my brain is I'm firing off the next step 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 that's what makes me very good and and fast at what I do because I'm I'm fucking my brain is 10 steps ahead of where my fingers are and I you know when I was using I was maybe like three or four steps ahead you know like now my brain can just rattle off I'm I'm recalling things that I you know was taught in the beginning of my career that I only used once you know uh um, so in that aspect, I think that I, you know, I, now that's not the case in early sobriety, but, you know, after a little bit of time under my belt, you know, I, I, I certainly think better. I don't leave shit everywhere. I mean, a, 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 tr- a common trait of mine, if you ask my parents, uh, that's probably changed is the fact I used to leave shit everywhere. I'd lose everything and I don't really do that anymore. You know, I, I'm, I'm. I mean, it was bad. I I lost hoodies and jackets and shit all the fucking time. And now I don't it do makes that sense to me that you you get annoyed when I lose my phone. Sometimes now that makes sense because that's like it's reminding you of when you would lose things. Yeah, I've told you that. I've said like it feels like I'm living with an addict sometimes with the fact that you leave your shit. People every- lose their phones. Yeah. Jesus, I haven't done that in a while though. I've been more yeah, cognizant of that. Yeah, because I shamed you into doing. Uh, yeah, you better. totally did shame me into doing that. But mm-hmm. you're super artistic. Yeah, like I think with everything I've, that you do, you fucking master it. Yeah, I think I've I've uh, uh, tapped into that better. You know, I'm able to. Um, the largest thing that, like, I used to do drugs to um, not feel. Um, a lot of people do drugs sometimes to feel, and like acid hallucinogens, I did to largely feel because I was dead inside because of the trauma and not being able to process it. But like most of the time I, I used to deaden, um, you know, to, to dull things because I'm, I'm like super sensitive and now being sober, I'm, and having skills and, you know, um, therapy and Alex, thankfully teaching me how to manage, uh, you know, the, the, my head, um, I'm able to harness them 
uh, for my advantage and I'm able to use the emotion. Like I, I, I super feel it and I'm able to process it and then also put that into my work, which was something that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, you know, if you looked at my, you know, work from like five years ago, I don't think I, uh, if I were to redo a job from five years ago there, you know, I'd probably make you cry compared to something that just looked nice. You know, like I'm able to really hit emotion and psychology and because I, I understand it within myself. Well, I noticed that about you. You do put on a strong front, but you have an ooey gooey center. You are a very sensitive person. Yeah. 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 Um... Anything else? We're rounding exactly. I'm really good at getting these nailed down to exactly an hour. No, this is perfect. That was that is very well written. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's he's. It's scientific and it makes sense and it's kind of like it's not telling you what to do. It's more giving you examples on how you can like do it for yourself. I kind of like that. Yeah, we got one more chapter of the science uh, that's got to go through, and then it gets into my favorite part of this book, like uh, you know how to how to actually work the steps as a, from a satanic uh, philosophy part of mine yeah, it's really fucking good there's a little bit more science chapters in there later but like he literally goes step one step two step three through it how to do it as a satanist it's fucking awesome it's nice and it's very descriptive yeah um so yeah any last thoughts no all right uh river i'll uh we'll be back um, oh, you know what? One last thought. Sure, you sure. didn't. You always do that. You always tell her how old she is in dog years, and you didn't. Um, that's because the app that I use isn't. I just reset my phone, and I've been using the um, uh, browser, um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know because it's not coming up. That's why I did minutes this time. Okay. Um, yeah, and love you, babe. We'll uh, we'll be back. Good night, darling. <laughs>